This is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. Get along down the road. We got a long, long way to go. Scared to live, scared to die. We ain't perfect, but we try. Get along while we can. Always give love the upper hand. Paint a wall, learn to dance, call your mom, buy a boat, drink a beer, sing a song, make a friend. We all get along. All right, so I'm not even really going to ask you what uh, what we're talking about this week. I think uh, there's really only one thing for us to talk about, um, and that was the fiasco uh, last Tuesday. But I'll let you kick it off. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts? First, first takes. Yeah, we were just talking that I think this is even going to be a hard podcast to do, a hard debate. To talk about because it was such a mess and to try to sort through everything that happened in it um, is going to be challenging so what we're going to try to do is talk about the overall tone like the emotional reaction that I think the vast majority of people had to the debate um, we will try to get into whatever substantive issues were brought up in the debate and there were a few um, that we'll, we'll talk about and then We'll wrap up by talking about where the debate leaves us uh, at this point in the presidential race and where do we go from here. Um, but just to talk about the tone of the debate, uh, it, yeah, I, I don't, it's, it's almost like I was like speechless watching it. You know, I, we've been, you know, watching these debates probably say the last 15 or 20 years when we can really remember. Uh, and I, I have never seen anything like that in my, in my life. You know, I, uh, Jake Tapper on CNN did what's going to become an, like instantly, which became an instantly viral video, but is also going to be sustained forever as like you know my reaction when you know dot 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 happens um, when he said that was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I've ever seen. It wasn't even a debate. It was de- it was a disgrace. I mean, it really just a tour de force performance yeah. from Jake Tapper. Great and- reaction. And the woman he said it to was like, yeah, that was a shit show. It was, it was a shit show. <laughs> yeah. It was like in that... Which I didn't think you were allowed to say on in, CNN. Which is why she had to back it up being like, we're on cable, we can say that. Oh. I apologize, but we can say that. Uh, but I thought those, those reactions captured it really well. And I like kudos to both of them for... Like, we're having trouble talking about it, you know, a, a day later. To have to react in the moment like that is exceptionally difficult. And they, they hit the nail on the head. Like... We're, it's hard to analyze something that was just a mess. Yeah, um, it right from the get-go, and I think it's it's funny because I started to hear that multiple people had the same reaction. Is that like everyone was getting texts from whoever saying that like what is going on? Like this is ridiculous. This is a shit show. From I mean, I don't think there's any you know sane person who could have watched that and been like that was productive i'm glad we did that <laughs> and even wallace at the end of the debate was yeah. literally he was, he was like, like he that was, was laughing interesting he was, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wish i had his exact quote but he was pretty much like well i hope he was like that was pretty he actually said at one point that was a productive segment like sarcastically yeah. it was unbelievable <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah like my mom texted me at one point during the debate and she was like this is like an SNL skit, but sadly, it's it's real life. And someone, one of the pundits said it was like, I don't know who won or who lost the debate between the candidates, but America, but America lost. lost. And that that's just a fact. I mean, that it was it's embarrassing that 
you know, we as a country like these are the two candidates that we have. And Trump deserves far more of the blame, but Biden was certainly not blameless in terms of his professionalism and decorum. And I'm not trying to debate that. I'm just saying that, like, to sit there and be like, these are our two candidates for presidents, two men in their late 70s who are just, like, hurling insults at each other. It was it's a total embarrassment. Yeah. Um, and I mean, certainly Biden did de- devolve into some of that. But I think. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, what would you have him do? Totally. He couldn't say a word yep. without being interrupted. Um, and at, at some point, you know, and, and there were many moments where he kind of, like, closed his eyes and bowed his head and was like, like, breathe. Like, clearly someone was like, Oosah. yeah, exactly. Oosah. They're like, he's going to go, go dude. Right. like, don't don't take the bait. And um, and I and, you know, that I've been making a habit of trying to watch what what Fox News is saying and initially fox news well it's like hannity and um he has whatever i can't can't really watch him but you know initially there was some kind of concern for what they saw but it quickly was like you know and it was it was equal and i think it is very clear that it wasn't equal and it did start in one area and i guess the question is like what was Biden's play there? Do you do you sit there and kind of take it and have everyone call you a coward afterwards, or do you do what he did, which is like devolve into the whatever? Like, what do you what yeah. do you do? So a few things on that. One, uh, Chris Wallace, poor poor guy, uh, oh. who's also getting skewered in the media, and I think both of us it's agree ridiculous. is uh, you know a highly respected. I would say a, a fairly bipartisan, you know, a true journalist, in my opinion, um, and now is getting like, kind of like skewered, like I said, in the media for not having control. I don't know what you want him to do either. Like, yeah. This is, for better or for worse, the president of the United States and, you know, the former vice president. Is, if they're just going to talk at each other and talk over you, what are you going to do? Right. right. <laughs> uh, but... Like, you don't expect to have to control you grown don't. men like that. And he, had, he had an interview, yeah. like, right out the next day. And he was like, I, I just didn't see it playing out like that. He, yeah. was, he, he was like, all my preparation that I did, I never saw, you know, them, behave, particularly President Trump, behaving like that. And so at one point, um, getting back to your earlier point where it's, you know, Trump was the one doing the vast majority, or certainly initiating the vast majority of the interruptions and the personal insults where, you know, Wallace says... You know, President, Mr. President, like you agreed to these terms of the debate. You, you need to let him speak. And Trump comes back with, "Well, he's doing it too." And and Wallace, like, "Well, frankly, sir, you're doing it more." And then, tr- like, Trump, like a true child, is like, "Well, just he's doing it too, all right." And Wallace, like, "Fine, yes, he's doing it too, but you're doing it more." Like, it really was. And my mom said this too. She was like, "It's it's like you're a two five year olds up there." And you know, Trump is the worst child. But I just like that exchange to me was. Like the epitome of his childish nature, where he was, he wasn't trying to say that he wasn't doing something wrong. He just wanted it to be acknowledged that the other guy was doing something wrong too. Right, right, yeah. And it was, I mean, you know, from a tone perspective, I think there are, uh, I guess, a couple of facets of that that I that I think are worth addressing. Like one. There was there was some sort of talk about like did Trump prepare for the debate? No, no, he never had any intention of debating, and in many ways, like the tone was purposefully set so yes. that nobody could ask proper questions, nobody would get proper answers because that was not the intention. And you know you can argue whether or not you know whatever the fake news media is is doing whatever they're doing, but like you said, America loses because they don't even get a chance to hear 
the other side and then or or any side really you couldn't even <laughs> yeah. I, I i couldn't tell you any of trump's policies in that either just like hunter biden and some three million dollars from russia <laughs> or something and like and it's like what what is going on um yeah i'm not entirely sure where i was going with that but but i guess to get back to the tone thing it was you know specifically set to avoid any real conversation about any topics that actually matter to Americans. But in doing so, or it was sort of effectually set to try and poke at Biden, potentially have him lose his temper and say something weird. That seemed to be the only like strategy out there. Right. So it it was pretty well known going in that Trump did no preparation for the debate, in contrast to Biden, who had shut his campaign down more or less for like 10 days to prepare for the debate. Um, So just completely contrasting strategies. That was kind of my first note before the debate even started. So this is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. Uh, But like you said, Trump didn't need to prepare because he had no intention of debating. And Wallace said that in his interview the next day. He just he said, I never expected the president didn't show up to have a debate. Like, that's not what he was there to do. And uh, I do think there's some potential uh, strategic nature to that, right? I think where Trump is now running on his record, which he didn't have to four years ago, his record, particularly in the last year, has not been great. And so he didn't want it to become a referendum on him and his presidency and his performance. And so there is, I think, a strategic element to saying, all right, let's poke at Biden. Let's kind of drag him down. If he's going to claim to have like the moral high ground, which he's been fairly doing, saying, hey, I'm the man of character. I, I will uphold the integrity of the office while this man doesn't. If I can drag him down, now he's kind of in the mud with me. And you don't want to be in the mud with Trump because he's better at it, right? right? And we saw that in 2016. When Nobody he, slings mud. Like no, Trump's right. Mud. And we saw in 2016 when he dragged all these people down with him and you have Rubio in there like talking about like just inappropriate things. And... <laughs> And it's and obviously he was ashamed of it after where you he Trump lives in the mud. You don't want to be down there with him. So I think that was partially the strategy. And I also think there's some strategy to Biden's not as quick on his feet as he used to be. And if you can kind of pepper him with insults and some and some personal shots at him, you're going to get him off his game. And I actually think it just it, lose his train of thought. Totally. And it, I think it happened several times throughout the debate. The problem was that if we're on a scale of one to ten and Trump wanted should have been at like an eight. Right, like let's let's be hot and let's come out aggressive and, and let's throw Biden off his game because I think that's an effective tactic. The problem was, and someone on CNN said this, that he started at a twelve and just went up from there. He was totally off the rails. He had no self control, which is not surprising given everything we've seen from him in the last four years. But if I was a member of his team, I would have just been like head in hand, shaking my head because there was a path to kind of do this strategy effectively, but. Like Trump just turned it all the way up and like broke it. He kind of broke himself, and it then turned into just a complete embarrassment and, and backfired on him. And no one's going to be worried about Biden losing his train of thought a few times because they're going to be worried about the president of the United States hurling personal insults about the family of his rival. Yeah, yeah. I I think um, I think you saw it like in 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 many ways. Um, and it, like I mean, I'm not sure it pains me to say it, but. And I think from an objective standpoint, when Trump was stringing together sentences, they were a little bit clearer, a little bit crisper, and a little more just cogent. Obviously, substanceless, most of them just like lies. Yeah, outright lies. But he says them well. (laughs) Yeah. But he he says them well, and for a constituency that he expects is not really going to fact check him. And, you know, on the off chance that somebody in the media fact checks him, it doesn't matter because he just calls it fake news. 
that he actually played that part very well. And his main criticism of Biden has been that, you know, he's too slow, he's lost a step, he's, you know, dementia, whatever. And, there, you know, there were times when Biden starts to get his sentence together and all of a sudden Trump cuts him off and you can tell that he's like, like, what was yeah, I saying? Yeah. And, you know, it, it hurts a little bit to say that. And, and I think we'll talk about this in terms of like, I also feel like Biden's staff prepared him really poorly. I mean, in in so far as like it's basically impossible to prepare for a situation like that. Right. But um, I I feel like again they sent him out there to debate somebody on particular issues with particular talking points. And and yes, Trump does regurgitate a lot of talking points, but many of them don't have a rational counter argument. And so, I mean, you did see at, at times Biden, you know, turn to the camera, try and say, you know, American people think about 200,000 yeah. people dead from COVID, making some pleas that are, that are, but he couldn't, he couldn't stay quite on message. And so he did get, as you said, dragged into the mud at times. Um, and then when he was trying to make his points, he, you know, he is a little bit older. He has some trouble uh, with with you know the, the eloquence and just the uh, the cadence of those speeches that unfortunately matters. Uh, it it they, I mean it would be naive to say that how somebody comes across um, just from a oratory perspective doesn't doesn't matter. I think it I think it certainly matters. But I think to your earlier point, you know if Trump had been at an eight and had like occasionally dropped those barbs in there. That would have been enough, probably, yeah. to get Biden off his game. Instead, yep. he went from twelve to fifteen, yeah. and the only thing people remember is like, "Look at the nut job." Right, and yeah, Biden was just almost in an impossible position because there's just no way you can prepare for the heat of the moment for for the president to say some of those things that he did. Like yeah. those are low shots that most people wouldn't say to that yeah. worst enemy, and, and the president's doing it on a national stage, right? And so. I don't necessarily blame Biden for trying to defend his family um, when, you know, he's just taking shots, you know, at, at his d- dead son. Um, and but on the other hand, I think Biden got sucked in a little too much and he had his strongest moments were those moments where he turned and looked at the camera. So, like, I, it's one of those things that I don't blame Biden for getting sucked in, but I do think getting sucked in hurt him, not only in the loss of train of thought several times, but everyone kind of knew who Trump was, right? And like, we knew he's he's a bully, he's, and he's not a typical politician, he's not politically correct. When Biden calls him a clown and, and, and says something like, will you shut up, man, right? Again, I understand where Biden's coming from, but that's not a great look either. And for people out there that are kind of like, respect the office, very hard to do when the office is, you know, taking shots at your your sons. But like, even when they were interviewing some people um, on TV after "quote unquote" undecided voters, they were saying, "Look, it really rubbed me the wrong way that he was, you know, he's our commander in chief, and you know, Biden was calling him a clown." So I, again, I think these are like Biden. I don't think handled himself great, but in the grand scheme of things, none of that's going to be remembered from this debate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I think, you know, his closing argument should have focused a little bit less on um, the coronavirus, which I, I think is obviously something that is a, of huge importance to, to voters. 
But I think he really should have been like, you know what? I'm I'm sorry that I lost my cool and called this guy a clown. But like, what do you want me to do? He's turned our democracy into a three ring circus. And so I am here as like somebody that you know can restore some stability and some integrity to this office. And like, I, like, I don't know what else there is for me to say at this moment because we couldn't have a debate tonight because of you know yeah. who he is as a person, and he made some of some statements like that, um, that you know that we are where we are just for the simple fact that you are who, who you, you are. are. Yeah, um, that was a good line. Yeah, I, I thought that was a good line, and I, I thought it made sense. And like, yeah, I, I agree that in in most in most circumstances, calling your opponent a clown, right, like. It's it's not about who the person is. It's about what policies they're putting forward and what you can, you know, how you can say that the policies I put forward theoretically, <laughs> right? But I will say, I guess, a few things um, on the fact that you know Trump used the line "the radical left, the radical left, the radical left" a lot. To me, the only person that seemed like radical or kind of insane on that stage was was Trump. Like, and so. When people say that, like, oh, if a socialist takes over, he's going to destroy the American democracy. I mean, debate is a foundational element of the American democracy, right? Like, instead of getting guns and, you know, getting ready to shoot each other, we sit down and we talk and people listen and they decide. Who is the person that that I trust to kind of take this forward, right? That is something that we rely on as a nation and it's why we think democracy works. And so if you really look at who is the radical element that is threatening American democracy, it's not sleepy Joe Biden. It can't be. He's too tired. He's too tired. He's not going that far. Right. You, you texted me at one point and said, uh, you know, if your kids de- like behave like this in a debate, you know, what, what would you say? And I, I said, like, the, this wasn't a debate. And that's kind of my, my takeaway from it. That wasn't a debate. Uh, it was it was a disgrace. playing one of those debate drinking games and and trying really hard uh to follow along there were a couple of um of substantive points or or you know differences on policy that that may be worth worth talking about yeah and we talked about this offline where i generally really enjoy the post-debate coverage you know, I, I love kind of seeing i have my takes on it i love hearing what other people have to say about it and so i watched um, the CNN coverage, you watch the Fox News coverage, and we both you know, texted each other and said, well, no one's actually covering any of the policy stuff. And some of that's understandable because in the immediate aftermath of analyzing the, the quote-unquote debate such as that, the focus is so much on the tone. And I, I guess in some sense I understood that. But I did think that there were some policy things that you could see <laughs> that the camps of the candidates wanted them to get out there, at least whether or not the candidates did that is, you know, they clearly didn't, at least in Trump's case. Uh, but 
so from Trump's perspective, let's try to, I'll at least try to make his, his case or what, if I was in his camp, what I would have been encouraging him to do. And I saw what I saw glimpses of. So five minutes into the debate, he dropped socialism on Joe Biden, right? And clearly, this is the strategy, label him as a socialist. Uh, he says, you know, your party, they're going to dominate you. You know that. And which was, I thought was in a really interesting line. And they had used that in the, his RNC speech, too, as Joe was uh, kind of like a Trojan horse. And Biden, in my opinion, had a great comeback. He, and uh, he said, I am the Democratic Party. Like, I am Queens Boulevard, you know? And it was <laughs> yeah. like, all right, Joe. Yeah. And I... Uh, and when he was Biden continues to make his point and says, "No, I'm not. I'm not a socialist. That's not who I am. I'm the you know the Democratic Party, and you know everyone knows who I am. Not I'm not that radical person you, you paint me as." And Trump comes back and says, "You know, you agree with Bernie Sanders. You barely beat him. You know, he, the radical left. That that's you." And Biden again comes back and says, "I beat Sanders. I beat him by a whole hell of a lot." And Trump's like, "You barely beat him." He's like, "I beat him by a whole hell of you know." Again, kind of they are now they're devolving to their childish nature, but. The point was there of Trump trying to paint him as this radical left Democrat and Biden, you know, solidifying himself as as not that type of person. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I can't I, I feel like I go back to, though, uh, you know, your point about if if he's dragging you down into the mud, it doesn't serve your cause to if he says, yes, you are. And you say, no, I'm not. It doesn't really make anybody believe that you're not any more than the people would believe that you are because <laughs> he said it, right? Um, I and I think you know from from the strategy perspective, I would have liked it. Like I was the centrist candidate, and I I beat Bernie Sanders. I did love the line that's like you know the party's platform is my platform mm-hmm. right now because I'm I'm the I'm the candidate. I thought that was um, important. I I do. And I mean, I think I, we, you know we were just touching on this. That just the idea that um, so right. So I guess there are two elements of this, uh, which I actually, in thinking about it more, um, feel like they're a bit in contradiction. Right. So the, there was there's like the socialist element, and then there's like the anarchy. Right. Yep. That like you're not again. You're not for law and order. Right. You say want, say law and order. Say, 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 <laughs> we'll say, like, what what. <laughs> Absolute insanity, but but I think that's an interesting point because right for a long time the debate has always been more government, less government, right? So socialism is seen as like the the most government, and kind of whatever some libertarian version is is the least, and there's kind of moderate Democrat and centrist Republican on in you know on, within those within that spectrum, mm-hmm. but in very few circles would you put somebody who's a socialist at in the same circle as somebody who's an anarchist like you can't have a socialist government that also wants no government because how how does that work yeah but people don't like either of those things so just paint you just right right, you're just throwing darts at them right now and being like like what's gonna stick right which is not a terribly ineffective strategy um, insofar as it just gets people up in up in arms, but if you if you do spend any time to think about it, like those two things can't go hand in hand. Like right, you just but, can't have. I that. mean, you're uh, you're being far too rational here. Uh, <laughs> this is my always so my right. It, let, let's let's continue because I think that's on the same line of trying to paint Biden as someone that he has objectively not been for his 47 years in right. politics, uh, where. Trump says repeatedly, we are for law and order. You can't even say law and order. And then 
he, Trump dropped another line and he said, the radical left Democrats have got you wrapped around their finger. The, the people in this country want law and order, you won't even say it. They were teaching people to hate our country. They were teaching people that our country is racist and he's talking about defunding the police, right? And so Trump says these things, which are not true statements, but are effective statements in the sense that, you know, if you love this country, if you, you know, believe in quote unquote law and order or the police or the military, if you believe in capitalism and Biden is painted as none of those things, like that, that can fire up your base and anybody who hears these buzzwords and is undecided might go the other way. So like in that sense, you could see that, you know, Trump's camp had a strategy there. And I think it really put Biden in a tough position because he has to come out and kind of denounce those things, say, I'm not those things. But in doing so, he naturally has to move to center and repudiate the far left a little bit. And like there was a point of Trump, again, I mean, in as crazy as he is, he is, I think, objectively funny a lot of the times where he, you know, Joe said that, like, I don't believe in those, what you're saying, like, I don't agree with Bernie Sanders, I don't agree with AOC, and and Trump goes, he lost the left, he just lost the left, <laughs> and it was like, what a ridiculous thing to say, but Biden was in a tricky position because he does need to have those people on the far left, the Sanders camp, vote for him, right, and yeah. you can't be up there demonizing those people, but you'd also also want don't want kind of the, the moderate Republicans who might be leaning your way to run the other way. So, which was, if you're a Trump guy, you gotta be really frustrated because there is a good line of attack that puts Biden in a tough position, not to get back into it, but he, he just couldn't sustain that line of attack through all of his insults. Yeah, I, and and again, where I just feel like, I, I think the Biden can't fail, I think that the element of humor is actually something that I, I read about, you know, the best way to diffuse a lot of the craziness is not to, to like get angry and call names. Like you can't do that with an irrational person. They they got more names, right? Like that's like Trump's like thing is he's always <laughs> thinking about what can I call this person and label them, right? And so trying to to fight that fight, that's a losing fight for you every time. But you can make light of the fact that you know this guy's acting a fool up here and like you know the liberal democratic side of things always has like actors and comedians like get some of those people yeah. to help you write some lines that the next time he says this say something else i think one of the other things that i that i wonder is instead of spending so much time trying to rebuff what trump is trying to paint him as is you know you are by by holding these radical left beliefs, which like I'm using huge huge air quotes, that you are sort of pushing forth like an un-American agenda that is going to like you know rip at the cultural fabric of America, and I and I really think that the Biden camp continues to miss opportunities to say no 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 you're the un-American person you are the person who is like you know in many ways just tearing at the fabric of our democracy by consistently trying to delegitimize de our election process. You won't have this debate. Like, you know, one thing after another, um, you're the un-American person. And I think, you know, one of the one of the lines of attack that really caught me and it caught me a bit off guard and I'm sure it caught Biden is where he was like, you know, no police union is supporting you in this. And it's like, for anybody who's thinking critically about this, about you know these issues of police and racism you know the police unions are the number one culprit of you know a barrier to accountability right like 
we have laws that we need to change, but in many ways, a lot of what people are looking for first and foremost is accountability. It's not people are saying that nothing bad can ever happen. We live in a society where bad things happen all the time, but the reason it continues to function is that when somebody does something wrong, people are held accountable. And when we look at the major issue for accountability in policing, it's police unions. And so for, for me, rather than like kind of not knowing what to say, I think Biden should have been like, what white supremacist organization doesn't support you, dude? Like, if you think about who is supporting you right now, think about what that really means for who you are representing. And Trump voters, to me, also just represent such an interesting coalition of people who are like, you have white supremacists right now, you probably have a good portion of the Jewish population who believes, you know, whatever Trump's doing, he's doing, but at least um, through Kushner, he's pro-Israel. You have like some elements of like police unions, but they're probably not loving what's going on with the white supremacists and things like like all sorts of people who are like, yeah, like principally, I don't know that I can support this guy, but he's got he does this one thing for me that I don't trust um, the left to do, and and really that's the only thing that I care about, and it's. It's amazing how he's threaded together a lot of these like one issue voters. Um, all right, abortion being another mm-hmm. one of them, to have them like forget all else that they believe in. And it's like, I'll do this thing for you. And then, you know, you just stay silent when I do these other things. I don't know. I got, I covered way too much ground there. I started in one place and ended up. Uh, so, I, 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 like, I, I, I don't know I don't know where I don't know where we can break that so, down. She said. <laughs> I had a lot to say on if, that. I wish we knew how to do that. Um, <laughs> I think one thing that you brought up that I want to touch on was the way that Trump puts people on a defensive. And I think it's a, a tremendously effective debate mm-hmm. strategy because because you're always defending yourself, you come across as defensive and you don't kind of get to be your own candidate. You're always defending, like you got the shield up as opposed to like the sword out, right? And I think Biden missed a few opportunities. And again, I, I want to emphasize that Trump puts you in a really challenging position. Mm-hmm. And but when Trump comes after him about the police unions, it's just like name one again. Like one, there are a lot of you know police chiefs and members that have come out in favor of Biden. He mm-hmm. couldn't come up with one on top of his head, but that's not his, that's not the point. There and there are more than enough former military members and generals who have been like, you know, what Trump's doing is not right, yeah, right? Like 450 who just like signed the Right, I mean, it's, again, it's hard to fault, what is Biden, 77, 78? Like, yeah, it's yeah. hard to fault you know, a 78-year-old guy who can't name something on top of his head, right? Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, that's probably an issue that he's the candidate. <laughs> but uh, but Biden can can pivot there and say, you know what, there, there's actually a lot of, you know, military uh, members and uh, police people and chiefs that support me, but... Uh, that's I want to appeal to those people, but I'm also trying to appeal to you know the people that recognize that there are systemic issues mm-hmm. and that while the police are, are really important, we also need to make changes within you know our current structures. And I thought he did it in moments. He said at one time, "I'm totally opposed to defunding the police. They just need more assistance. You know, they need psychologists going with them." Like, that's an, that's like a a good point that you want out there and can really appeal to a, a, a wide group of people. The only way to improve our country is to bring people together. We need law and order with justice. Like That's a phrase I, I had written down. Yeah. It's a great line. And that's something he sh- he needs to do more of and put forth. And 
again, it's hard to do when he's talking about the three and a half million dollars your son allegedly got from the Moscow mayor. But like his most effective moments, you mentioned this earlier, was when he just turned to the camera and was like, you know, you should have just been like, well, Chris Wallace asked a question about law and order. I'm just going to answer the question about law and order, right? And I'm sure that Biden's debate people are telling him that, like his most effective moments are when he's just talking to the American people because yeah. he is such an American, you know, like someone that you really can, you people feel like they know. Uh, that's part of that. He's been around 47 years, but a part of that is like he's he's just a you know he's a working class guy. He's suffered a lot in, in his life. He's you know from all accounts a genuinely good person. Feels like you know you could have you know a drink or a dinner or whatever with him and. That's he needs to own himself and his own platform more as opposed to being so on the defensive. Yeah, I think that's totally right. He just, in too many occasions, would was was sort of fighting Trump on Trump's terms and and as you said on on the defensive. I think one of the areas um, that I feel like his camp told him would be a winning issue was the coronavirus. Um, and something that I, I wondered watching it is, is how well you think um, it played, like the sort of evoking family members um, of people who passed away due to the coronavirus, how, how well that um, was received. Did it hit, kind of hit the right nerves um, or, or what? Because I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. So I think one moment stands out like pretty vividly in my mind where Biden again, he turned to the camera and he said, you know, how many of you out there are sitting at the, the kitchen table and there's an empty chair there or there's someone in your house that you, you can't see or is, is hospitalized? And I think that was a powerful moment because obviously there are hundreds of thousands of people out there that that is that reality. And I think that that humanizing it and again, the Biden as kind of the everyman American was really effective in my opinion. Uh, I, you know, Trump's responses to that, at kind of snickering, were like, "Yeah, well, H1N1, you didn't do well." <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about, man? Like, how many people died in that? Like a couple thousand? What, I'm not diminishing that, but like, right. these are totally different scales yeah. here. And there was just so I thought Trump's kind of response to that the truth is he has no good response to 200,000 people dying. There's there's nothing Trump can say that is going to spin it in a positive light. So what he did effectively, in my opinion, was pretty much go to the the reopening of the country. And he said, you know, he's going on about Biden, who he was going to destroy this country. He's not going to, you know, Democratic mayors aren't going to open the country until after the election, which I think is kind of a fair point. And he was like, and Trump said, people know what to do. In Democratic run state, it's like a prison. People want their businesses open. They want their kids in school. And he, he talks about bringing back football, but like, which is like a clown comment, but all of these things, right? Like small businesses open, kids in school, football is back. Like these are things which I do think resonate. And if you can paint Biden as everyone's going to stay shut down, even if there are like legitimate health reasons to do that, I think it's an effective argument. And again, going back to when they interviewed undecided voters on CNN after the debate, there was a small business owner who was saying like his business stuff really resonated with me. We've been hurt and I don't feel like, you know, Biden's speaking to that. Yeah. Again, yeah, again, I felt like it's such a, a, just like a branding issue in that it's not the, demo, like, one, just from an intuitive sense, do, like, I mean, the conspiracy theorists will say that obviously Democrats want the economy shut down, it'll make Trump look bad, and that'll help them in the election. I think the reality is, is that's a ridiculous position to take, 
the reality is that you have one party that has shown sort of a distaste for science and scientific analysis and just like how you approach issues that are like you can't you, it's it's one of those things like you can't fight scientific truths like this is how viruses i beg to differ right. well <laughs> yeah. so so the the past 4 years for me has been really challenging just on on that particular front and what i felt like was was a missed opportunity was not to say that you know that we're against opening the economy but we're against doing it in a way that it like doesn't follow sort of the best scientific advice that we have and this is explicitly the reason that we are in this situation and that many many other countries around the world like trump brought up oh do you believe china's death whatever their deaths were you can you know take a video camera around china right now and they are more or less you know back to where they were pre-january right so you know say whatever you want to say about the legitimacy of, of the numbers that they released it doesn't really matter because they effectively managed Right. The outbreak. And, and Biden should have come back with, do you see Japan and right. South Korea and Taiwan sure. and Canada? And all, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Majority of Europe. Right. So, I mean, those opportunities to like to have quick retorts instead of saying, well, well no. And, and Chris Wallace asked, like, well, you know, what would you have done differently? And he sort of said, like, I would have listened to the scientists or something and – PPE, but I remember nothing about I don't, making I don't point, either. Honestly. I don't yeah. either. I'm, I'm straining to remember, and I may even be adding it because yeah. I, I wish he had said some of these things. But yeah, it was. It's it's that like look, at some point, and and all right, and so maybe this is the last thing I'll say about this, or last question that I'll ask about this, um, before uh, <laughs> before I get too redundant here, is that. You know, Trump was really hammering on like if you were president. You know, two million people right. would be dead, which is, I, I, uh, does that sell? Like, who, who actually believes that like Biden would have taken this less seriously than than Donald Trump in in March? And just like the again, uh, we've had this conversation: the absurdity of blaming somebody who's not in charge of what's happening while you're in charge. Right. Yeah, I, like Biden's not even in the Senate. He's like literally nowhere. He's hanging out at home. <laughs> right. No, I mean I think it's part of Trump's strategy just to kind of mitigate the two hundred thousand, right? You throw out Biden would have had two million, right? And you say he would have done the worst, mm -hmm. right? There are unprovable hypothetical claims right. of something that could never be proven, right? So you say it and you move on and you make your attack about the economy, which I think that as a strategy is the way he has to go. Yeah. Uh, but I think the last thing, kind of policy wise, and maybe we buried the lead here a little bit, was that Chris Wallace asked the president directly to condemn white supremacists, and Trump didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you could argue that not only did he not, he gave them a wink and a nod of like, you know, I got your back. Not only do I have your back, but I know you have mine, and you know, we might need each other soon. Uh, which, in some ways, is not shocking, but it's, I think that's maybe more concerning. Right, that we have a president of the United States that's not condemning white supremacists in on the, the presidential debate stage, and the vast majority of Americans, including myself, were not shocked by that. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I really struggle um, because I think 
it quickly devolves into to hyperbole to make comparisons to something like Nazi Germany. But I, th I think it is worth pointing out that in, in certain situations, it is not just the extremes that are sort of allowing something to happen, right? It is a lot of those people who are sort of mortgaging their principles on, well, he's doing this for the economy. So it's, it's you know, I, that's just some rhetoric. It's, it's this for the economy. And to be able to say that, obviously, you know, it takes a ridiculous amount of privilege that like, yeah, if, if these white supremacists, they're not coming after me. Um, and that doesn't actually include me. They might be coming after me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but so, so that's certainly one part of it. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I would ask, like, how, how do people take that and not say that, that this election has to be more than, you know, the typical one, uh, one issue vote? And like, if you are voting for this guy, it is a tacit, if not explicit approval of racism. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a great answer for that. Um, I've always hated that, you know, the 50 million people that voted for Trump four years ago got painted, was painted with this broad, broad brush of deplorables and racists. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's just factually wrong. Um, and I, I do think, you know, there are legitimate policy reasons where if you truly believe that your job is going to leave if you know Biden comes in, if Hillary had won, then you can say like my immediate concern, I don't like what he's saying, I don't like or how he's saying it or whatever, but you know he's going to help me and my family. I, I don't begrudge people in that sense. Um, I, I can't put myself in someone's shoes that like truly believes that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> and Trump just doesn't make it easy on himself. You know what I mean? Like that's it's just an easy thing that I think every Republican would tell you, just say, I condemn white supremacists. Like it's not hard <laughs> to say. And I think what happened was uh, he, it is though. For him it's right. hard to say. So it what is I think it's a couple things. Is one that he feels so aggrieved, and this is why he was so hot, that he is never going to say bad things about people that support him. Right? I think he he truly and genuinely values anybody who supports him no matter who they are or what they do or what they believe in and two i think he hates being like pinned down and wallace tried to pin him down it's like do you condemn white supremacists like he asked him a question where you can't equivocate and so what president trump does is he's like well no like i'm not i'm not going to say that right you, you have biden chirping over there say it say it right and, yeah. like he just kind of feels like trapped and he's like what's my way out and so he you know he, he makes his statement uh yeah, I, I don't, it's it's, yeah. it's a bad situation. I don't I don't really know. What, it's it's kind of like you're you're speechless. Where it it's something that should be so easy is so hard for him. Right, and to me though, it, it gets back to the heart of like, if my whole goal is to paint my candidate as this radical, and then I can't even condemn what should be like the most radical element of the American society, which is like the, the white supremacist. If I can't do that, like how am I potentially effectively painting this person as someone who's going to destroy America? Like it, and, and, and I do, and that economic argument, like, you know, is this person gonna put in place policies to save my job? I think one, from 
in a country where free market capitalism is like the pinnacle is 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 the only thing that that we hold super sacred i'm sorry but there is very little in the way of policy that in a long-term perspective is going to keep your job you're being too rational right or no no 100 percent um and i don't know and i don't know what and I guess yeah, people got to tell themselves something so that they can sleep at night. If they make this decision and they're like, "Well, you know, I don't really love what he says, but, but I might have my, you know, it might help me keep my job." And certainly, like you said, like we don't, you know, struggle necessarily to put food on the table, and that is, um, you know, we have some safety nets with family and things like that. Unfortunately, that speaks again to a broader potentially like an issue in in America in general that people feel like I got to choose between my job and a potential like white supremacist or, or somebody who is at least willing to court white supremacists to get, um, to get access. And it, yeah, for me, again, it just goes back to like what a motley crew of, um, of like a patchwork of people to be able to pull together and, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. I also don't know. At the same time, as I, I fundamentally agree with you. You know, I went to school in Wisconsin, and I was back there probably like a month after Trump. Uh, Trump won the election, and like in line with folks having these. You know, after a few beers, of course, getting a, having these arguments with people, and speaking to people who voted for Trump, and like, yeah, the reasons just. You know, I, I don't like Hillary. Uh, he's a businessman. He's rich. I want to be rich. Uh, like, uh, uh, this is just such a ran such a spectrum. But, but back then when people were, and I think Democrats miss opportunities when they're constantly trying to hold up the smoking gun. C seven fifty in taxes. C's a racist. This that and the other thing, and. It's it's almost like the boy who cried wolf in that totally. it's very easy for the other side to be like, you know, what I'm just shutting that off. I don't yep. need to listen to that. Absolutely. Um, and if you can't, if you sound the alarm over and over again, all of a sudden it's just an alarm in the background. Um, and so yeah, like you said, nobody was really surprised. Um, it, but it's it is shameful. It is shameful. Shameful is a good word, and I think. Will people of a certain age will always remember uh, this debate uh, in a way that we're, we don't remember many other debates? And I think the the chief kind of historic takeaway from this is, like Van Jones said, Donald Trump did not condemn white supremacists. The President of the United States did not condemn white supremacists. The Commander in Chief of our military did not command, did not did not condemn white supremacists. And um, historically, in 2020, for that to happen, shameful is a good word for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think no better way than from from that to say, like, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I don't know how to move. So in terms of the race, President Trump is, is clearly trailing and trailing more so, far more so actually, than he was in 2016. And so I think there's a tendency um, 
among conservatives to have like a little confidence being like, yo, Trump was down in 2016, he, he's down now, we still got this. And there's hesitancy amongst liberals, just uh, an inherent caution of, you know, we thought we had this in the bag and we didn't. So I think it's the race isn't as close as a lot of people are making it seem because everyone's so kind of for those two reasons that I just said. I, Trump is down, I think, seven points nationally, which I think I read recently is the biggest anybody has trailed this late in the race since Bob Dole in 96. And, you know, he got blown out. Um, every other race was far more competitive. And even in swing stakes, and we've talked about this, you know, repeatedly on this podcast where you know, Democrats are throwing money in states where you, you would have thought they had no business in, in Iowa and Arizona and Alaska and South Carolina. Like, in addition to Georgia and, you know, Colorado and Michigan and Minnesota and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Ohio, like Biden just has so many states in place. So all of that to say that this was an important debate, especially with early voting, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have already or are in the process of casting their vote, they might not get a chance to watch another debate. So President Trump had far more, actually, polling wise, President Trump had far more on the line. I think Biden did have a lot in line in terms of showing up and looking competent. Low bar, but whatever, he had to do that. Uh, and so Trump needed a boost out of this de- debate, and I don't think he got it. So in terms of where we stand, where we go, uh, Trump's in trouble. Yeah, um, I, I would, in some ways, I think this is the most confident that I've felt, um, in part because of sort of the explicit non-denunciation of white supremacists I think I think that was a, uh, an issue that they talked about on you know certainly on MSNBC and CNN ad nauseum but even Fox News was like man I, I can't believe he didn't just come out <laughs> and say that like what is he doing and I think there's that's enough for I'd say a good chunk of undecided voters um to say that, like, even though I strongly believe against so many of these things, um, that you know, I, I I can't in good conscience do this anymore. And then I I think some some of those feelings, um, I don't know. I, I like we talk about how the the democracy sort of swings back and forth. Um, over 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 time and I think you know right after Trump got elected you saw a huge mobilization of uh, of Democrats but of um, women in particular minorities in particular um, in ways that I don't know that you had after President Obama was president in in part because of some of the feelings that it had that like, you know, if a black person can be present in America, you know, we've really come a long way. And so the urgency just wasn't there specifically for people who weren't following, who didn't really know that, oh, you know, we lost the Senate and the House and like we actually had no power for three years, three three years of his last term. Um, I think there is a heightened awareness and an urgency that Democrats feel, and I—I I mean, I think Trump's base feels it in the other direction. The like, you know, I'm anti-socialist and all this stuff. But I think those folks in the middle who don't focus on the issues so much, they focus on people and feeling, and 
I think some of them, I think some of them just have to be tired of what's been happening over the past four years. Um, but I will also say that I think that for a number of reasons that it 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 almost needs to be a landslide because a a small win for Biden is not really a, a great result here. I completely agree. Not only that it wouldn't be a great result in terms of like uh, he's got the mantle. What's that word? The mandate. The, the mandate. mandate yeah, the mandate yeah, going yeah. forward. But I think there is an increasing element of I don't know that Trump is going to concede an election that is not a landslide. And I I have long been against the hyperbole of, and you, you alluded to this earlier, of you know Trump is ruining our country. He's not you know anti-democratic. I hate. I, I was infuriated by all the protests immediately after his election, saying he's not my president. He's going to ruin. He's like he hasn't even done anything yet. I don't necessarily think that the the fear that people are feeling at this point is hyperbole. You know he he has openly spoken of potentially not accepting the election and again i don't know of a time since the civil war where our democracy has potentially been as threatened as it is and if it's not a landslide trump has sown the seeds for a lot of people to distrust the elections and there are certainly a lot of people in power in the senate that have already given up a lot of their you know, theoretical values to keep Trump in power because Trump has done some good things for them. There is no doubt that it's a Supreme Court that is probably Trump favorable and probably going to become even more so if he gets buried through before the election. I think that there are a lot of factors where if this is, if this is in any way up for debate on election night or the week after, that we, we have like legitimate reasons to worry. Yeah. I mean, certainly, it's not a great outcome if it if it goes beyond. Uh, well, it's going to go beyond election day because of the the mail in ballots. But if it if it becomes like a contentious result, um, or not even really contentious, if if he decides that it's within a margin that he feels like he can just claim it's contentious, that that is problematic. And and then you have the added element of. He literally was asking for people to go out and like watch the polls. Like, is that a thinly veiled sort it's, of assertion yeah, at it, voter intimidation? Right. It's like, like we talk about kind of quote unquote dog whistles. These are not dog no. whistles. These are he's openly talking about right. this stuff. And even the kind of proud boys stand back and stand by wink wink. It's like, yo, if I need you, I'm I'm gonna call on. Right. You. Right. And and I know that this segment is not intended for this, but I did want to say that one like side comment and a bunch of like yelling that that was going on that I feel like nobody at least I didn't see it sort of rehashed but he recounted uh, the the gentleman in Portland who who shot somebody yeah. and then he was like shot the guy three days and then well I set the feds in there and we took care of it and what he was talking about is that when the federal whatever agents went to apprehend this guy they killed him um, in the streets so through gunfire, like self-defense, like that, all of that aside, what our the president of the United States celebrated in that instance was an extrajudicial killing of an American citizen within, you know, and like all of these sorts of things just boggle 
the mind when you're talking about what's at stake and and it potentially gets back to the fact that like if democrats say that everything is the worst thing ever and everybody is like the biggest racist then it's very hard to differentiate when yeah. you want to be like no i want to reserve these words right. for the people who have you know committed the actions that earn them and in many ways trump is doing that but we've already used all right. of the ways that we want to call him these things and it's like so we're saying them again, but it's like, well, you already said that. Right. I already They've decided that meaning. I don't, I don't yeah. believe in it. And that is, that's a little worrisome for sure. Yeah. One of my uh, former students, she's not only incredibly intelligent, but like really tuned into stuff. So she texted me and was saying that it's the most embarrassing debate I've ever seen. And then the last thing she said was, I am scared. And again, like I, before I've always been like, there's no real reason to be scared. But I think, and we saw this, and the reason why you know Trump was so hot on Tuesday was he genuinely feels aggrieved, right? He, and whether he has been or not, fairly or unfairly, he feels that. And I think, and he also, I think, knows that he's down. And I, in many ways, he's a little bit like an animal that's been cornered. And I think the more he gets down and the closer it gets to the election, the more he's going to fight back. And even like this increased rhetoric of you know in 2016 when he kind of you know had hemmed and hawed about whether he was going to accept the election results like he wasn't the incumbent he was just kind of oh, a yeah, guy out there matter, it's, it's a yeah. whole different thing when the incumbent is saying that i'm potentially not going to like there's not going to be a transition right and he does say a lot of things kind of hyperbolically and humorously and he can kind of wink a lot of things away I don't know that he's really true. It's, it feels like one of those things where he's going to keep pushing the boundaries a little bit and a little bit so that no one's really scared. And now it's kind of Trump being Trump. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, November 4th and it's, nah, that election wasn't any good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, and that's, I think, part in, in why it needs to be a landslide, not only for him not to be able to question the legitimacy of the election, but also for sort of his base supporters to feel a little bit more isolated, right? Like a lot of what people have been talking about um, is that by saying things like, you know, stand back and stand by is that he's really created a sense of legitimacy for people who were rightly, you know, outcast. And so if you, even if you lose an election 55, you know, 52% to 48%, that's like 48% who are tacitly approving you, but also these people who used to be on the margins, mm -hmm. used to be on the fringe. And so when you worry about a contentious election potentially going to the courts, also I think it would be naive not to worry about potential for, for violence and unrest but I guess that you know some of the things that, that give me hope are that there are, you know, you had, it's not like a uniform, like, oh, the military alone backs Trump. Like, most of them are like, no, dude, you're a little, well, not most. All right, let's say, let's say it's split. Enough. But yeah. enough um, that you have hope that there are people who are willing to just at least uphold the institutions. Yeah, Trump said something when he was railing against the kind of ballot box, for lack of a better term. <laughs> And it's darkly humorous, and I think this is where I'd like to end, where he said, this is not going to end well. And I think he's right.
the Jews They come across the water A thousand miles from home With nothing in their bellies But the fire down below They died building the railroads They worked the bones and skin They died in the fields and factories Names scattered in the wind 